to John chapter 11, where Jesus is talking to Mary and her brother Lazarus has died and he is in a tomb. Jesus said to her, Mary, your brother will rise again, or Martha, I'm sorry, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And this is, this is uh, John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Now, when I was a little kid and a good southern boy, I went to a thing called cotillion, where you learn where forks and spoons go and how to dance the cha-cha, and how to be polite, tuck your shirt in, chew with your mouth closed, no duck eating, as they call it. Don't, no, I won't describe what duck eating is. And I never went to a lot of fancy restaurants as a kid. I mean, went to some you know, nice places, but not like super uber fancy. Until I went to San Francisco with my wife many years ago, and we went to this really nice seafood place in San Francisco. And um, we got seated at our table, and the, uh, the guy came up that I thought was the waiter, and he handed me a wine list, and I said, oh, thank you. And I started to look at it, and he just stood there. And I said, oh, all right, must have to tip you or something? I don't know what's going on here. And uh, he said, I, good evening, sir. I am your sommelier. And I said, gesundheit. <laughs> he said, no, no, I'm your wine waiter. I will help you choose wine to pair with your food. And I said, oh. So I looked on the wine list, and I'm externally looking very proper and very fancy. Internally, I'm thinking, what is the cheapest option? <laughs> Do you have any Franzia, perhaps, or Boone's Farm? <laughs> Maybe some two-buck chuck. No, I chose something on the top of the list. And we had the food, it was very good, and... Uh, it paired very nicely with our seafood and uh, all of that. But here's the thing about restaurants like that. Um, they're very dark, you know? As the evangelist Vance Havner said, you're kind of eating by faith and not by sight. Like the amount of money I'm paying for this, can I at least kind of see it? Like you're kind of, you know, like a microscope, it's just, it's dark. There's, there's ambient lighting and there's shadows everywhere, right? It's very comfortable. You feel very, you feel very cozy, in the dark. But here's the danger of the dark. So you can get almost too comfortable in the dark, can't you? It can kind of lull you to sleep, kind of lull your senses, and you kind of enjoy it, right? You kind of like being there. You can, you can stay there. And some people, the darkness is all they've ever known. That's all they've ever known, is just staying in the dark. But as we read in John chapter 1, John says, light has come into the darkness, and the darkness will never overcome it. But why, th this is also why not everybody has experienced the light of Jesus Christ. It's because it's a choice that we make, a volition of our will, 
to say that yes, I believe that you are the light of the world. I believe that you are the resurrection. I don't want to stay comfortable in the darkness. I want to be, come willingly into your light and not hide in shame and guilt any longer to see that God's grace covers everything that comes into the light, that he has come not to condemn the world, but to save the world through his son. And Jesus says this in this statement to Mary in John 11, to Martha. He said, I am the resurrection. Not I will be, but I am the resurrection. And, and she points to an indefinite future. Yes, I know that, Jesus, but he's going to get raised up one day at the end of all things, and it will be okay. But he says, no, this is an immediate present. I'm not pointing to that. I am the resurrection. Everyone that's living now, and they believe in me, when they die, they will live. It almost sounds too fantastic to wrap our minds around. But Jesus says it's true. And his statement is not only that, but he sees the shifting sands of the human heart. And he adds a qualifier to his conversation with Martha. And he says, do you believe this? Do you believe it? Because I know that you've heard me, but do you choose to believe this? Is this something you have in your bones that you can't shake? Or is it something that goes in one ear and out the other? See, Jesus' resurrection is an invitation from darkness and into light. His whole life, really, in ministry, is an invitation, a proclamation of coming, please, I invite you. Yes, the way is narrow, but the, the, that way, it might seem exclusive, but it's radically inclusive in who can come into the light. And he's, it's, a, it's a plea of God, do not get comfortable in the darkness. Do not continue to hide what you think you need to hide. I want you to live, he says. Now, speaking of food and restaurants and darkness, there is a restaurant in Berlin, Germany, called the Unsicht Bar. That's the German word for invisible. Uh, I've never been there, but um, it's apparently completely pitch black. And uh, I guess it's supposed to like heighten your sense of taste or something like that. Well, anyway, when you go into this restaurant, a waiter will stand there, and you put your, their, your hand on their shoulder, your dining party holds onto your shoulder, and the waiter leads you to your table in complete and utter darkness. Now, you don't need to worry. Um, the waiter is himself blind. They only hire blind people to be your waiter because they don't need to see. It's, it's pitch black. So they lead you to your table. Now, someone that's experienced this said, when I started to walk and be led through the restaurant, I started to feel like I was having a panic attack. I thought I was going to die. Um, not exactly what you want out of a dining experience. I could hear glasses falling off tables, and, and I, it made me scared, this person said. Now, no light is allowed in the dining room, but if you do need to use the facilities... They have a candle-lit bathroom, and your waiter will guide you to the bathroom. This author who said he went through this experience said, I didn't need to go to the bathroom, but I just chose to go just so I could see something. <laughs> and then he said, when I got back to my table, the waiter led me back to the table, and the food came. Then I realized the difficulty of trying to eat something I can't see. And, but at the end of this unique dining experience, your waiter leads you back to the light, and back to the street. 
Whatever the pluses and minuses are of sightless dining, one thing is clear. If you choose darkness over light, your best option for a guide is blind. Your only option is that. And for many people that are living a life apart from Jesus Christ, you are being led by the blind. You are being led in a direction that God doesn't want you to go. He wants you to walk in the light so you can see everything as it is. That's why Jesus says things like, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is what he's talking about. This truth, this light, this life, this resurrection of God. But to millions of people around the world right now on this Easter Sunday, they see this message as foolishness, as superstition, as a fairy tale, as something that weak-minded people might lean on as a crutch. And I would say, join the club. We all need a crutch. We all need it. But still, that dichotomy still exists. And it existed 2,000 years ago in the early church years. The Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. What an interesting parallel. That to some, they could hear about the empty tomb and think, eh, that's just for the Christians. But to those who are being saved, we realize it for what it is. It reminds me of the movie The Matrix where Neo looks, or uh, Morpheus looks at Neo and says, I've got two pills, which one are you going to take? One's going to lead you to the truth. The other one's going to put you right back in your safe little life where everything is where you expected it to be. And Jesus' resurrection is saying to us, the lights come on. See, it, but through the, the volition of our will, what we call faith, choice, it's the light switch for things to come on and see things as they really are. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, you put your hand on his shoulder, you will not walk in darkness, but you will walk in the light of life. And a lot of times in church that we use this phrase, light of the world, and it sounds abstract, it sounds kind of strange. I mean, how in the world could a man be the light of the world? What does that mean? Is he like, I mean, I think he does literally shine in heaven. We see that in the, the Mount of Transfiguration and things like that. But it's, it's also even more than that. It's more ethereal than that. Okay, if you think about this, if Jesus is risen from the dead, then he has been where we're going. I hate to break it to you, but Jesus, um, Jesus, well, we're all gonna die one day. <laughs> Death and taxes, right? But here's, here's the kicker though. Jesus didn't rise from the dead on Easter morning. You're probably thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can I get a refund? That's not true. No, he rose during the night. He rose before the morning. Mary and the other women came to the tomb with the rock blown off and the hinges torn apart and the ropes and the wax seals the Romans put on there. The guards were gone because they didn't want to be killed because they you know they failed at their job to guard the tomb. And they came to the tomb and they saw this tablet of stone that was empty with a piece of linen on it with, with blood stains on it. And he's not there. He's gone. He'd already risen in the darkness. Jesus never has been comfortable in the darkness. The light always overcomes. And he overcame it in the middle of the night before the sun even came up. But here's the thing, even though Jesus has gone where we're going, we don't have a guide who's spiritually blind. We have a guide that leads us into life. He is 
the way. This is why he's called the light of the world. There could be some of us that live in this sort of a quasi-gray where I go to church sometimes, I know that I believe in God, I don't really feel any sort of transformation in my life, I don't feel like I'm a new creation in Christ, I don't, I've never had, you know, uh, I've never, you know, I just don't, it just doesn't seem real to me. Now, a lot of people live in that space, that's okay, that's okay. I used to live in that space too for many years as a younger person. But the, the Bible says that we can reach out to him by faith and trust and have the, know the real presence of Christ. Because apart from that, what can happen is when we live a life apart from Jesus and we trust more in the darkness than in his light and we continue to feel this sense of shame and guilt about all that we are, we slowly build this cocoon around ourselves. When we become preoccupied with self, when we elevate our needs over the needs of others, when we put our own self-divinity over the divinity of Jesus, when we elevate our standard of righteousness over Jesus' righteousness, when we elevate our opinion over God's word, and when we do this, we slowly enwrap ourselves in a cocoon that gets very comfortable and very safe and very quiet and dark. And Jesus says, I've, not, I've come to give you life. I've come to pull you out of that. I've come to pull you from darkness and into light, to pull your head up Look to the hills and see that your salvation is coming. There's more to your life than just living and dying and making money and pursuing pleasure. There's more to why we're here. It's to know God and enjoy him forever. And not only that, 1 Peter 2 reminds us that we are intended to be a royal priesthood. Sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, redeemed by the blood of the Son of God. First Peter says, you are a chosen race. He's not writing to a particular group of people here. He's writing to everyone that has followed Jesus. He's saying, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That, that you who were once a people, you are now a people. You who once had no identity, you now have an identity. That we are united around this shared hope that we have, this light of the world that who Jesus is, the resurrection of who he is. That we're united around that. Because if Jesus had stayed dead, we would have no reason to celebrate right now. We wouldn't even be here, would we? There wouldn't be any churches in the world. Why would there be? Yay, Jesus is dead. They're not a real good selling point. That's how movements die. But because he's risen, the fact that this church, any church even exists, is to me evidence that something happened that Easter morning. If he had not risen, we would have no hope. But because of that, we do. And in closing, any lawyers in the room? (laughs) I know there's a few. Um, We know that you know the value of first person testimony, you know the value of, of, hearing someone that was there. And we trust first-person testimony all the time, don't we? Someone goes, hey, we went and had this great trip, we had this great experience, we ate at this place, it was great. And you hear their testimony to it and you believe it and you go with it. Well, the Bible actually has that. It has a lot of it, a lot of first-person testimony. If you read 1 John chapter one, John writes this about testifying. 
he, he uses strong words like, I'm declaring this to you. This is what we have seen and heard. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testify to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us and we declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. See, people that think about the, the Easter Sunday, they tend to think, well, that, that was back then. Uh, I wasn't there. I can't know if I can believe it. Here you have first-person testimony that speaks across the centuries. And he's, John is saying, we've seen it. We've heard it. We've touched him. Also that to know that your fellowship is with the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And here is what John summarizes this little phrase. This is the message we have heard from him, from Jesus, and we proclaim it to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So John wrote those words after experiencing something that transformed his whole reality, changed his life. Like, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't not deny that. Like, those of you who have a brother, I have a brother, you might have brothers? Okay, all right, imagine your brother came to you and said to you, um, hey, uh, I'm the son of God. What would you say? Uh, how much Boone's Farm did you have last night? That's probably what you'd say, right? You would say you're crazy. That's what James, Jesus' brother, the book of James, he wrote it. That's what James thought about Jesus early on. He thought, my brother's nuts. He's talking about, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life, I'm the gate, I'm the shepherd. I'm like, what? This guy, I don't understand him anymore. But then if you read, and we, we see that in the Gospels, that James did not believe. And then you read the, the epistle of James in the New, New Testament. You see this transformation happen with James. Something, he witnessed something, someone risen from the dead. That his light, his, his resurrection, his invitation from darkness and into light for all men and women and children that would choose to believe it. It's, a, it's an invitation of love and grace. And in closing, Jesus has always been there. He has always been by your side. And I know when you're younger, when I was younger, I used to pray at night, I used to read my Bible alone, and I would be like, I don't know about all of this. I don't know. But then when I look back, I, cannot, I can't fully explain it, but I knew that he was there, Right? I knew all those times that I wondered, is this really true? I knew that he was there. I knew that he was with me. And he's with you. And he'll be with you tomorrow. He was with you six months ago. The light of the world, the darkness will never extinguish it. So let's pray together. And you're going to hear a song about how he's always been with us. Let's pray. Thank you, God, that you indeed are the light of the world and that your resurrection has come to conquer death, to give life, and to lead us out of darkness and into your eternal light. That heaven is a place of perpetual light and, and life. And deep, deep down, that's what we're hungering for, isn't it? And that you have come to offer that. You said this is the judgment, that light has come into the world, the darkness did not overcome it, but that wicked people stayed in the darkness for fear of seeing their deeds as exposed as evil. But those who want to do right come willingly into your light. 
and to live. That is your invitation today for all of us. Come willingly. Come home running. God will receive you with open arms, my friends. And today, O Lord Jesus, we receive you by faith as Savior and Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.